Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Phil Boogie, and welcome to another episode of Isolation Be Like. I am in my mobile studio, as always. This time, I am parked outside of a Burlington uh, coat factory in a Bed Bath & Beyond, watching hundreds of people in masks go inside these stores to buy what I believe must be essential items. So um, God bless uh, to them. The last episode, I talked a lot about how we can all look at ourselves and um, talked about some of the experiences I had with um, people in my life, um, liberal white people who I've worked with who have been friends and I've heard from a few of them and there've been some conversations. So um, it's been interesting to hear people's responses and um, to, to have those conversations. So um, it's been good. I've also been exhausted because, you know, life. Um, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. We are also in the middle of an uprising, even though the media has decided to stop covering it in the same ways. It's still happening. There's a lot of change happening. Most of it good and necessary. And I think, you know, for all the people who had concerns about whether or not protests work or certain things, could move the needle, um, I think we're seeing evidence, whether you like all the ways the, the needle the needle is moving or not, um, we see the change. So I'm happy for it and I'm looking forward to see uh, what kind of steps we make as a nation because of what's happening right now. It's June. June is really tricky because you already have pride, right? Which for me is weird because people sometimes sometimes wish me a happy pride and I'm not quite sure what to do with a happy pride like well wish or well wishes I don't because I don't like June 1st doesn't come around and it's not like I'm saying it's my month you know like it's about to go down like it's not that for me and I have an understanding of what pride symbolizes and but it's never really been my thing one of the things I believe is that, you know, growing up, I grew up in, in Jersey. I got New York television, television stations and news and, you know, pride came around once a year and I would turn on the news and it would be people on floats and people dancing and people looking like um, the village people and everyone's having a good time. And I did not see myself reflected in that. A couple years ago, I was at work minding my business um, and I was asked to be a panelist on a discussion about a play. Um, the play was Doubt. The school I was working for decided to do a production of Doubt. I was asked to serve on a panel. I think it was opening weekend. And on the panel was gonna be a psychologist, um, a pastor or someone religious figure and whoever else, some faculty member. And I believe I was asked because I was a writer and because I'm gay, right? So the students did this production and, you know, I went to watch the show at the end. I get on stage with, you know, three other people and we're being asked questions and we're having this discussion. And to be honest, I was appalled. And if you haven't seen Doubt, the play or the movie, it deals with this idea of this relationship between um, a young black boy and this, I think it was a priest, 
in their relationship and it not seeming like it was on the up and up and there may have been some inappropriate behavior. So anyway, you have Google, you know, you can you can look it up. So there's some themes here. Loneliness, appropriateness, um, race, class, all of it. It's a great piece. And it's very layered. Hence, the title being doubt. It's not called certainty. It is called doubt. So I watched the play. It was what it was. The students did what they had to do. There, there were some changes because it wasn't all black cast. So there were some changes, you know. And then the questions started. And I just felt like what people were saying was so homophobic, right? Like it, it wasn't about this one person's actions, potentially. And it wasn't just about what was happening on the stage. Like someone had, someone said something to the effect of, yeah, we all got that one uncle or one whatever in the family, you know, so you better watch out. Like it was just so ignorant. And if you know me, if you know me, I can only take that for so much. So, and I'm a storyteller, so I'm sitting there and I tell a story about my experience of being a student at that same school where I worked at the moment. I tell a story about how I felt isolated, how I felt alone, and how not having a place to go because of a lack of safety and fear of rejection, it makes it easy for people to kind of get in there and kind of befriend you because they know that you can't really be yourself out in the open. And they may not also be able to be themselves out in the open because of who they are and for professional reasons. And it can create circumstances. And I had this, I'm just going to call it a relationship with somebody who probably should not have been engaging in a relationship with me, right? And I'm technically, I'm, a, I'm an adult, right? But it still was, there was a, still a, a power dynamic that made it inappropriate. And I talked about the idea that even though deep down I knew that this person was in some ways using me and not just, and not physically per se, but just using, using me because I knew they were hiding too. On some level, it was, it was reciprocal because I knew that person was safe because they had something to lose. So I ended up having a place, even if it was a fucked up place to go, I had a place every once in a while to go and feel a little bit closer to who I felt I wanted to be. And it's, it's all bad, right? But I talked about all the layers that can kind of go into that from a different perspective and how the, the film hints at some of that and how the play hint, hints at that. So what followed was a few students talked about their experiences and students that I had taught. And they were students who I had thought were gay, um, but not had said anything to me, were not out in the open. Um, 
One in particular stood up and I was so proud of him to talk about his experiences and it felt so freeing. And then I started to get some messages from people saying that they appreciated that I was so honest and open and I helped them. And I felt really good about that. But the whole time I was speaking, there was an administrator staring me in my face. Like she wanted to hop up on stage and whoop my ass every time I was, uh, I would say something. So I noticed that because I noticed um, I the lights were on, I could see. So after it was over, I said to um, uh, my husband, my um, who was my partner at the time, I said, you know, that this person's face was tight the whole time, like they wanted to say something. And we talked about that for a minute. And then I went about my business. That next Monday, so two days later, I get a phone call at like eight o'clock in the morning. Before I have to go to class, my phone rings. It's the department secretary telling me that, that this administrator wants to see me urgently and that if I have class to send a message that I won't be there, that I'm going to be late. But it's important not to go to class, to come straight to the office to meet with this administrator. So I'm already knowing it's going to be some problems, it's going to be some bullshit. But my first thought was like, no, you don't get to call me eight o'clock in the morning and demand that I show up to your office. And I don't know why you're calling me into the office. It's not appropriate. But then after some conversations, I decided to go because there was going to be no way to avoid the conversation. This is somebody I work for, so I have to go to the office. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't feel there were any protections anyway. So I was, might as well have just gone to have the conversation and see what was going to happen and then figure out how to handle myself later if something went down. So I go... The person comes late, walks past me, makes a whole scene out of it like they were basically um, the president of the United States and then asked me to come into the office where they were, sent the secretary to come grab me. So I go in and the first thing the person says is, Professor Branch, I never imagined that I have to have you in my office. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, why, why am I here in the first place? And I know this person is tough. I know this person will say anything out their mouth. So I'm prepared for that. So I just kind of stiffen up and say, well, I don't know why I'm here. I just got called. I, someone woke me up this morning, told me to come here. What am I here for? What's the problem? And I knew what the problem was, but I wasn't quite sure where they were going to go with it. And the person says, well, I just have concerns for the student's safety because if you're gonna be on stage talking about the things you talked about, I'm concerned for our student safety. Now, I had not been called a faggot to my face or anything like that or a nigger. None of that stuff had ever happened to me. But as she began to talk about fearing for student safety, it it began to feel like someone was essentially just calling me a faggot to my face. And I had to hold it together enough to get through this meeting. And I asked her, I said, so what's the concern for safety? Well, if you're talking about your personal experiences on the stage like that, I can't imagine what you're doing in the classroom. I mean, 
I don't have any problem with somebody being gay, but that's your business and it should really stay in your house. It shouldn't really be at work. I mean, I just didn't appreciate um, having to listen to that from the audience. I was shocked. I was shocked. I was appalled. I was appalled by it. Now, I had never had this kind of conversation and I certainly had not had this kind of conversation at work. And this is a place where I had done an excellent job. It's also a place that I had devoted a huge um, portion of my life because I had gone there as a student to supporting and uplifting. And here this person was essentially demeaning me, not because I said anything vulgar, not because I say anything, you know, really inappropriate, but just because I had the audacity to be myself. And I was at a conversation that was about sexual identity and I dared to talk about my own. And this person's a top level administrator who I'm not naming right now and is taking the, you. if you work with me, you know who it is, but I'm not, and it, you know, shout out to the friends who supported me through this process. So I, I held it together enough and I said, if you want to be worried about student safety, you worry about all the violations that are here, the elevators that don't work, the mold that's on the walls, the leaks, all over the building. Um, you worry about the things that clearly you must not be able to see, right? I, there's a student who used to help up and down the stairs because they had trouble walking and the elevator didn't work. We used to carry this student up and down the stairs sometimes because the elevators didn't work in our building frequently. You're talking to me about safety. My evaluations are stellar. You have concerns for students, go read my, Google me. <laughs> go read my evaluations. You don't have to worry about me. And I asked, so is your problem with me being gay? And then it was this whole backup. No, no, I think that's fine. I just don't appreciate, you know, I just thought it was just inappropriate. I just thought, you know, drinking tea out of some like little teacup, like it would, I guess I was supposed to be punk, but she didn't know me. Now I was on the verge of tears because I was in that place where it was just like, how fucking dare you? And you want to hop over the desk and you can't do it. And I was just fighting back so many emotions, right? And I held it together the most I, the most I could. And I just said, I didn't appreciate being, being called in this office to be shamed for who I, who I am. I am a good professor. I don't deserve to be called in here like this. And I just kept pushing back. And I said, there are a lot of other things that you could be worried about. And I said, and you never asked me if any of the people who I talked about who were praying on us, you didn't ask me if they're still here. You didn't ask me who it was. You didn't ask me if students were still in trouble. That's what your worry should be. Not whether or not I'm discussing on topic the theme of a play. And then I left after she tried to apologize and make it right when she saw that she um, could not punk me, which she should have known she couldn't have punked me because we had already had one interaction where I had to let her know. But she tried it and I left and I went home and I got a call from my department chair who had not been known that I had been called in. And he said, just take some time. You don't have to come into work today or this week even, come back when you're ready. I'm sorry this happened. And that was that. 
And I made some phone calls to people who I knew. They were all supportive and appalled. I was gonna talk to the president, who I knew very well of the university, who I know very well. And at first I was encouraged by one person who I considered to be a mentor. And then about four hours later, I got a phone call and they essentially said, the reason why the person was able to talk to you the way that they talked to you is because that kind of behavior is something that has run rampant at the university. And I'm not quite sure that whatever issues you have are gonna be resolved by pushing it up to another level. Cause I don't know that there's, there's gonna be enough support for you in that way. But let me work on some things and see if I can, can communicate some things and, and smooth it out. And I don't know why, because this is not typically me, but I let it go. At least, you know, I'm still, you know, it's in my book and I'm talking about it a little bit here. <laughs> but I let it go in that moment. And no one really, not the people who should have, I had my friends did what they had to do, but like the people in charge, no one really no one really reached out to rectify it. It wasn't like this outpouring of like, oh my God, I can't believe that this happened. And people knew. And then I showed to work some days later, maybe about a week later, I showed to work because I have to work, right? And to be honest, I was worried, even though I had been stellar, even though I had a fine reputation that, that this person who was responsible for whether or not I had the right to be at the university in some way, if that person was gonna make it hard for me to get a renewed contract. So I'm on my way to work and one of the administrators from the school in which I taught in liberal arts stopped me, had not seen the person. And they said, can we talk for a moment? We were right outside the building. So, um, I stop. I really don't want to talk. I don't want to explain what happened. I don't want to tell the story again. Um, I just want it to be over. And instead of asking me what happened, the person simply said, I didn't know any of this took place. And when I found out, I was upset. And the person asked, how are you doing? And I cried. Right. Like I hadn't I hadn't been emotional, but I, I cried at that moment and I was about to go teach. Um, I think I cried because I was asked how I was doing. It wasn't just about procedure and what was wrong and how you can fight it. It was like, how are you as a human being doing right now? Which is not a question that enough of us ask of people when they're going through hard things. We're trying to fix it. We're trying to make it right. We're not. But we don't ask them how they're doing. And that was good for me in that moment because I needed it and I didn't even know. And it was a good lesson for me because it's something that I've picked up. And I always, I always try to ask people how they're doing first. What do you need? How are you doing? And then when I finished crying, <laughs> the person said, don't worry. Um, your three-year review is on my desk. I already know the work you do. By the time I finish my, uh, my piece of it, you won't have any problems. So... My review was the bomb. I got a new contract and life moved on. And I say all this to say the Supreme Court decision about protecting LGBTQ people from 
losing their jobs because of who they are is very real. Um, I was good um, at what I was doing at this at this at this school, and everybody knew it. But here I am being called into an office as if I um, had done something wrong, um, as if I was expendable just for showing up as myself. That um, had I not had the measure of power I had by being an alum and knowing people, that it might have been the end for me that I could have lost a job that I was good at. So when I see that Supreme Court decision um, coming out in 2020 that people should have the right to their jobs, they should should have the right to that sort of protection. Um, It feels a little bit too late, but it doesn't matter. It's it's right on time for, it's right on time for somebody because that could have been me. It was almost me, right? So when I think about Pride Month, I think I do have pride. I have pride that I have made it. I have pride that I still get up and do what I do. I have pride um, that I am trying my best, right? Despite whatever obstacles, right? Now, none of that makes me want to put on a leather vest or a tutu or get on a float and dance to bad um, Jersey Shore house music. But I do have pride. Stay safe, stay sane, wash your hands, and um, I'll see you next time. And by see, I mean I'll talk to you next time because this is not a video podcast. (laughs) All right, good people. Um, Take care. Peace.